Amen. You guys know what my favorite day of the week is? Sunday. Sunday, right? Absolutely, by far, Sunday. I'll admit it, though, I didn't always feel that way. I, I can remember being a kid, kids, I feel this, I can remember being a kid and sitting in the service with my parents and being like, is that pastor ever going to stop talking? I could be doing a thousand other things right now than sitting here with my parents being bored out of my brain, right? But Sundays are different. I think that most people in culture would agree. Sometimes we even see things closed on Sundays. You know, I was a Bergen County kid, so we still had the blue laws. I think they're actually still in existence. You can't go to the mall on a Sunday. It's like, wow, that's weird. Even though they've mostly blended into kind of just another day of the weekend, hashtag Sunday fun day, right? It's, it's different. Does the Bible call us to treat Sundays as one day of the week that's different than everything else? And of course, there's danger here. The answer is never in the extremes. We can neither, we, we cannot just ignore what God clearly commands us about keeping a day special to Him, nor can we so much overregulate it and turn it into just straight legalism. There's a balance that has to be struck. Once again, we're faced with that need for biblical balance. Do we need more instruction on what God calls us to? Absolutely. Do we need to understand Sundays in light of what Jesus did? Absolutely. Does it all come down to yet another expression of how much we love God and trust God? Yes, absolutely. So let's dig in. We've got lots of work to do today. Exodus chapter 20, if you're not there already. Last week, we worked worked through the third commandment which prohibits us as God's children from using or carrying the name of the Lord or any of his titles, attributes, ordinances, or works, anything about God in an unworthy, empty, or inappropriate manner. We've been saying all along that God's law reflects God's character. And how much more so than last week should his name reflect his character? We must treat his name and all things around his name in a way that matches who he is. To keep that commandment today, we avoid unworthy speaking, unworthy spiritualizing, and unworthy living. We show our love for God by using his name appropriately in all things. This week, we turn our attention to the fourth commandment, and right away, there are a few things that are unique. First, maybe most obvious, is it's right here in Exodus. It's in the moral law. Specifically, it's in the first table of the moral law. This is the last one this week of the first table. All these things are about loving God. The first four commandments are about loving God, and the rest are about loving others. And so this is the last one. The Bible will literally tell us today how we love God and honoring his day. God has a day, a day devoted to him. We don't, don't often think it's part of the moral law, but it is part of the moral law. The other unique thing is that this is long. I mean, this is like four whole verses here, right? Eight through 11. I mean, do not murder is literally two words in the Hebrew. But this is a long passage, and that should tell us something about how important God thinks of it. Look again at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And if we back up and unpack this a little bit, we note right away that this is a little different than the other commandments. Right away, it's not a thou shalt not, right? It's a positive command. It says, this is what thou shalt do. Remember the Sabbath day. And so the command is to remember, to keep it a priority, right? Why are we remembering things? Because they slip from our priority. We have to remember things that are important, to remember that it is important to not lose sight of it. And so what are we called to remember? We're called to remember the Sabbath. And so what is a Sabbath? I'm glad you asked. The Sabbath, or Shabbat, means to cease. It means to pause. It means to rest 
Rest from what? Well, the text goes on to tell us, cease from all your work on the Sabbath day. Why? Well, the text goes on to tell us again. See, if you ask questions of Scripture, it just keeps giving you the answer sometimes. Why? Well, he says, well, because you have six other days to work. God says there's one day that's for him. You have six whole other days to do all of your work, but keep one day, a Sabbath, to the Lord your God. And on that day, don't do any work on it. But not only you, you, your kids, your servants, your donkeys, your cattle, anybody, even the strangers that are hanging out in your house, sojourners, they don't do any work either. And at ancient Near East in this time, you might think of each house as like a little mini business, right? The dad was the CEO and president of that business, right? And so whatever happened in that house, right, all the farming activities, all that stuff, all the livestock, that comes under his jurisdiction. And so this command says, hey, make sure that nobody in your house works on that day. Not even the animals. Don't let them work on that day. It's a different day. It is set apart. It is holy to the Lord. Right away, we can see a biblical principle here. Remember, we look at the commandments. We have to look at the positive and the negative here. What is commanded and what is forbidden. And so what is commanded, well, two things. The first thing is that the seventh day is the Sabbath, and so it's a day of ceasing from your normal labors, and secondly, devoting the day to the Lord your God. So you cease from your labors, and you devote the day to the Lord your God in worship. But what else is inferred in this command? Work. We're called to work. Six other days inferred in this command is that you're actually resting from something. Actually, six other days, you are endeavoring to work. Many people think that work is a part of the fall. No, work is not a part of the fall. Fall just made work hard and bosses grumpy and Mondays. But work is holy. We are commanded to work. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall. It's God-ordained that we should work, and we should work hard, and we should work diligently. Christians should have the strongest work ethic. We should be the most valuable employees business owners have. I should be getting phone calls from local business owners going, send me more Christians. I need more employees. I love the way Christians work. So we see that we're commanded to cease from work on that day, but inferred in that command is, yes, we need to work all those other days and work hard. So what is forbidden? Two things again by direct command. We know that a text tells us that the first thing is directly forbidden, working on the Sabbath. You are not to do any work on this day. Doing any normal work on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is not a normal day. It's God's day. The other thing that's forbidden in here by the flip-flop, right? See how we look at all this stuff? What's forbidden is laziness, is idleness. Inferred in this command is that you're working the six other days of the week. And so what's forbidden because of that? Laziness, idleness. Christians, we should not be idle. We should not be lazy. We should not be trying to get out of work. We should be endeavoring to work to glorify God. Paul says, if he who doesn't work doesn't eat, so therefore, not working for a Christian is not an option. Idleness and laziness are sins. And so, again, what is commanded? First, remember the Sabbath and work hard. What is forbidden? It's forbidden to work on the Sabbath, and it's forbidden to be lazy and not work at all. Why? Well, that goes to another part of the verse. Look at verse 11. That tells us. For, because, purpose clause here, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There is a biblical principle, and I really want to stress that word principle because that's going to help us get our arms around all of this. It is a principle here, and it goes back where? It goes all the way back to creation. In Genesis, and Genesis tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? literally the first verse of the Bible. Excuse me, but then in chapter 2, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Direct pickup here in the moral law in Exodus. Moses is saying, you guys know this. 
you're good people. You went to Sunday school. You, have, you know all this, right? We rest on the seventh day. Why? Because God rested on the seventh day. That's the principle here. God rested from his work and declared the Sabbath holy, set apart, dedicated to God. So here's the first point. We are commanded to set apart one day of the week for worship and for rest. We are commanded to set apart one day of the week for worship and rest. All of those words are important. Commanded because, folks, that's what it is. It's a command. It's part of the moral law of God. We've said all along that God's moral law is 100% still in effect today. God's moral law doesn't stop. Why? Because God's character is wrapped up in God's moral law. So we can't just stop these things. There are some Christians who think that this command is no longer in effect. I don't know why, but they do. It is, it is fully in effect. And indeed, our, our evangelical context, this commandment might be the most misunderstood, contentious, or otherwise ignored or disregarded commandment of all of them. We are quick to throw up a legalism flag and say, yes, but Jesus, we don't have to Sabbath, right? Well, do we? Don't we? We're all the way back in creation here, and God is Sabbathing. Why would God just waive one of his moral commandments? Or more to the point, after all that God gives us, why wouldn't we give one day of worship and rest to the Lord? You see the pattern. You see the principle. It kind of looks like, like tithing, like we're giving a tiny bit back of all of what God has given us. It's a biblical principle. Why would that principle change? Now listen, the way we Sabbath now looks different than it did for Israel. But we're still called to Sabbath. We're still called to have a day that is for worship and for rest. We're still commanded to set one day of the week apart for that. And it's sin if we don't. I'll point out the entire context of Scripture to hopefully prove that point. Why are we still commanded to set aside one day of the week for worship and rest? Answer, because the principle of a dedicated day is in every single phase of biblical history. The principle of a dedicated day of worship and rest is in every single phase of biblical history. First one we just saw, creation. Where's the law? Nowhere to be found. It's God, and he's busy making the world. And we see a principle of Sabbath rest, one day set aside for God. Right? That's the first one we see. But second, we see it, of course, in the Old Covenant, where we are right now in Exodus. It's part of the law. It's part of the moral law. But it also has tentacles into the civil law, and it also has tentacles into the ceremonial law. It covers all of them. Because the Sabbath is not just part of the moral law, it's part of how they worship, right? That's the ceremonial law, and it's part of their society, what they are going to do and what they're not going to do on the Sabbath. Those are governmental laws. So it has tentacles in every single part of the law. But even before the Ten Commandments, we see God laying down the principle, if we turn back a couple pages, to Exodus chapter 16. Again, no law yet, but Exodus 16 Verse 22, this is when Israel was given manna from heaven, right? And they were surviving in the wilderness, literally on bread that falls from the sky. And what did God tell them? Guess what? On the seventh day, don't collect anything. I'm going to give you twice as much on the day before so that on the seventh day, you can what? You can rest. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. Watch this, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning. And as Moses commanded them, it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Right? The idea is like people said, well, if we're not going to get any fresh manna, Right? It's probably going to go bad. No, God didn't even let it go bad. He preserved it. So we see before the law was given, again, we see in after the law was given how seriously God takes his Sabbath. If we turn to Exodus 31, look at verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, watch this, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. 
Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that, sh- that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. See, he's tying it all together with Genesis again. And then on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. We see it in creation. We see it even pre-law. And now we see it definitely in the law. Right? And I know what some of you are thinking already. Yes, Pastor Mike. This is clearly given to Israel, which you're right, you're 100% right, and we can, in the passage I just read, because it's absolutely given to ethnic geographic Israel, because it says, throughout you and all of your generations. So he's giving this command to Israel. So this is straight up for Israel. But we have to look ahead, not just to creation, not just to the old covenant, but to the new covenant, to what how this law is impacted by Jesus who told us he was coming to fulfill the law. How does that? Side note, it's also impossible for us to obey this Sabbath as it's written in Exodus. It's impossible. Number one, we just talked about we're not Israel. And number two, we don't have a temple. We don't have sacrifices. We don't have priests. We don't have all of that stuff. It's impossible to do. It's impossible to obey, which is another reason why Jesus fulfilled and transformed that. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect priest. The temple is now within us in the the person of the Holy Spirit. For even though that the, the civil and ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ, he fulfills, and watch this, maintains the principle of the Sabbath. Jesus fulfills and transforms it, but he he maintains that principle. And so we see this principle in creation. We see it in the Old Covenant, and we see it with Jesus. Jesus in the New Covenant fulfills the essence of the Sabbath, and it continues on today in and through him and for us. Maybe if you remember back a couple years ago when we were in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus in many of his his, um, encounters with the Pharisees, right, they tried to trip him up on many things, and one of them was his use of the Sabbath, What what was he doing on the Sabbath? They were very, very interested in that. Matthew 12 says this, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. Uh Uh-oh. They're working. They're plucking heads of grain. These are the kind of laws that were on the book for Old Testament Israel. You can't do that. That's working. He said to them, or sorry, Pharisees, of course, spied on him, not sure what they were doing in the middle of the field trying to catch them, jumping out from amongst the wheat stalks or something. Ha ha, I found you. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence and it was not lawful for him to eat or for those who were with him, but only for the priests or, I love it when Jesus says, have you not read to these guys? These guys have the whole Old Testament memorized and Jesus, it's just such a subtle little dig just like, did you guys miss that part in, in Hebrew school? Have you not read the law on how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Like, hey, priests, they work on the Sabbath. They're, they're, they're good. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Watch this. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, guess what? I'm here everything changes. It's not old law, it's new law. I'm coming to establish the new covenant, and with that comes a new perspective on this commandment because I am Lord of the Sabbath. Edmund Clowney writes, it is perhaps the Sabbath commandment that shows most clearly how Jesus transforms the law. If sometimes we wonder how exactly Jesus transforms the law, I think Dr. Clowney's right. I think it's How Jesus transforms this commandment gives us one of the clearest pictures of how he transforms the law. And that puts us right where we need to be. We've been explaining the text. Now let's try and apply the text. In light of Jesus Christ, New Testament church, Highlands Bible Church, how do we violate and obey this commandment? Okay, deep breath. Let's go. When we think 
about the depth of what Jesus came to do, right? He, of course, came to be our ransom and our redemption. He came to seek and save the lost, to be the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. But we hopefully saw through our time in Matthew that he came to do something colossal in that the old covenant is done and the new covenant has come. Sometimes we, we kind of overlook that fact a little bit. We think of what Jesus came to do in the cross and all of that, and yes and amen to all of that. But one of the biggest things Jesus came to do as well is to end the old covenant and begin the new covenant. We saw that in Matthew all the time. He says to the Pharisees and the scribes, that's it, you're done. You blew it. You're being judged. I'm here. Everything changes. New law that's why we call it the New Testament, right? We have new revelation, so you'd expect a new written revelation for that, New Testament. And so Jesus says, I fulfill this law. He told us point blank that in Matthew 5. Don't think that for a second I've come to change any bit of the law, but I've come to fulfill it and transform it into who I am and who I am. The ceremonial aspect of the law is fulfilled and ended in Christ He's our perfect temple, again, our perfect high priest, our perfect sacrifice. The civil aspect of the law for ethnic geographic Israel is complete because the people of God are no longer just ethnic geographic Israel. We see some general equity in our law today as well. So with that, you'd expect the former seventh commandment, right? And the seventh, or sorry, the fourth commandment being the seventh day of the week to be set aside. You would expect that to change as well. Why wouldn't it? We wrote a whole New Testament. There's a whole new covenant. The old is gone. The, no more temples, no more priests, no more sacrifices. So you would think the day of worship would transform as well to center around Jesus Christ, and it does. It is no longer the seventh day. It is no longer Saturday. It is now the Christian Sabbath on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons. Maybe the biggest offense might be in the name itself. It's called the Lord's Day. It's his day. He fulfilled it. That's what he said he was coming to do. So now we have a new day to remember how the Lord fulfilled it and to worship on that day. What do we call communion? The Lord's Supper. How he fulfilled Passover by being the perfect Passover lamb. Lord's Supper, Lord's Day. This is just basic fulfillment here. But we also see how biblical events support honoring the Sabbath on Sunday. First and foremost, what happened on a Sunday? The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on a Sunday. And Jesus then appeared to his disciples not once but twice on a Sunday. What else happened on Sunday? Pentecost happened on a Sunday. The Holy Spirit came down to earth on a Sunday. One author writes, no other day has been honored with so many gospel privileges. It's not an accident. God knew what day it was when he resurrected Jesus from the grave, right? We see the concept additionally of the Lord's Day in Scripture itself. It is assumed in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says, hey, when I get there when you're worshiping, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when he comes. He's like, hey, guys, get ready. You know, when you're worshiping, you know, on the first day of the week, on Sunday, just have everything ready when I'm there so you guys don't have to worry about collecting money. Right? In Revelation 1, verse 10, we see uh, John writing, when I was in the Spirit, when? On the Lord's day. Another colossal thing that happened on a Sunday, John received the whole visions of Revelation on a Sunday. Sunday's a special day in the eyes of the Lord. We see it in the Bible through and throughout. But we also see the transition to Sunday in the Christian Sabbath was very much in the early church. Ignatius in 102 AD writes, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in observance of the Lord's day. The Didache, the oldest surviving book of church order written around 100 AD says this, but every Lord's day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving and after confessed and having confessed your transgressions, that you sacrifice, your sacrifice may be pure. The Apostolic Confessions around the 4th century says, On the day of the resurrection of the Lord, that is the Lord's day, assemble yourselves together without fail, giving thanks to the Lord and praising Him. And good old Westminster, because I can't go a sermon without quoting them, 
Westminster Catechism, question 59, says, Which day of the seventh hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ? Answer, God appointed the seventh day of the week to be the weekly Sabbath and the first day of the week ever since to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath. And so the day with the covenant change and everything else that changed, the day of worship changed. So how do we apply this commandment in 2023 America? To keep the fourth commandment, sorry, there's a typo in your bulletin there. To keep the fourth commandment, we are to set aside Sunday, the Lord's day, for worship and rest. That's what our calling is. We set aside Sunday, the Lord's day. Now, there is a little bit of a hair here that we could split, and I'll try to split it. We don't want to be completely, totally legalistic about this. If someone says, yeah, but still, I want to do a Sabbath on a Saturday, or I want to do a Sabbath on a Wednesday, you're not sinning, right? But I will say this, why would you not do, follow the pattern of what the Bible has clearly said is the Lord's Day, what all the church fathers and church history has said is the Lord's Day, and everything else that we know and see on Sunday? I'll just throw that out there. So how do we know that this commandment is the new covenant is to us? I'll give us three buckets again, or, or what should we do, rather? How should we follow this? Three buckets. We plan for the Lord's Day, we prepare for the Lord's Day, and we protect the Lord's Day as our day of worship and rest. First, we plan the Lord's Day. This goes back to the text in Exodus. We have six other days to get stuff done. Planning for Sunday starts before Sunday. Planning for Sunday is us remembering, yes, Sunday's coming up. That's my day of worship and rest, and I need to prepare myself for that throughout the week, especially the night before. Puritan Thomas Watson writes, evening preparation will be more like the fine-tuning of an instrument. It will fit the heart better for the duties of the ensuing Sabbath. We plan practically. Sunday comes around the same time every week, right? We know that. It comes after Saturday every time. Let's structure our weeks so that we actually think of planning for the Lord's Day. And perhaps it goes without saying, but maybe first and foremost on that list, number one, plan to be in church physically on Sunday, right? You guys all get gold stars today because you did that. First thing on the list, plan to be physically in church on Sunday. How do I structure my week? How does it work so that I am worshiping with my brothers and sisters on the Lord's Day together? See, there are these things called calendars, and they have, they have boxes, and in all those little boxes, they have numbers up in the corner, and the cool thing is, is that you can put things on the calendar, and we don't have control of much. But 99% of the time, we have nearly complete control over what goes in those boxes and not. And so if you, if you, actually, if you want to get totally nerdy through the wonders of Apple, you can share these calendars with your families and friends. And so they will know, you all will know what's going on. Yes, the fake iPhones might do that through Google, but we don't care about that. We throw something on the calendar, boom, everybody knows it's there. We all goes to our, our, our wonderful little devices there, right? If you put events on the calendar, you are planning for things, right? We need to plan for the Lord's Day around that. But practically, to plan for the Lord's Day, what do we have to do throughout the week to clear the decks to enjoy a dedicated day of worship and rest on Sunday? What do we have to get done around the house before Sunday? What groceries do we need to get before Sunday? What laundry needs to get done before Sunday? When will you do chores that don't then just get pushed over and spill into Sunday? Now, I'm not saying, here's the caveats, okay? Remember these arms. Here are the caveats. I'm not saying if you go to Acme on Sunday, you're sinning. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's plan a little better. So we have a day that is dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll probably be at Acme after the service, right? But that's because I didn't plan so well on Saturday of what I needed to do, right? Optimally, we want to keep the Lord's Day as clear as possible. Think about how much easier it is for us than Israel, right? If you didn't do some of the work, they were subsistence farmers. Like, they ate to survive, 
How much trust does Israel have to have in God to take a whole day off from farming or harvesting or making their animals work or do whatever that is? A ton of trust. Now, they, had, they did the necessary work. They, they fed the animals and things like that. But it wasn't just a regular work day for them. That was a lot of trust. We have to realize also, as parents, right? Think of where we were in this command. Dads, especially, everybody in your household, just like this command said. Is that what we're modeling for everybody? Is that what we're saying? Like, are our kids understanding that, no, this is a day of rest as well? Our wives, our kids, people staying with us, right? It's right in the, in the passage. Do they understand what this is? Are we modeling that? Are we leading in that? And so plan practically, but also plan your schedule on the Lord's Day. Okay, great. We made it to the Lord's Day. What are we going to do on the Lord's Day? How are we going to spend this day in worship and rest? Well, first one we already said, you're here together worshiping God. Good. Great. Love that. What comes after that? I don't know. I heard, understood there's some sort of sports ball contest later on tonight or something like that. Right? We plan for those things. Like, what else is happening on Sunday in order to give us worship and rest? When are we going to take a nap to the glory of God? Husbands, when are we going to let mom rest to the glory of God? What, are we, what else is going on? Are there, is there a care group I need to go to nourish my soul, like today at 4 p.m., shameless plug? Is there, is there a prayer meeting that's happening later on that I, I need to go to? Are there, are there people in this church that I don't know that I can invite over to my home and show hospitality to and get to know them and talk about the things of the Lord together? Is there a time where I can sit in family worship with my kids and talk about the sermon and talk about what they learned, BT dubs, they're learning the same thing downstairs. We're going through the same thing. So great time to talk about things like the Ten Commandments and the Fourth Commandment today. Do we even think about that? Or are we just kind of, we did church and the rest of the day is kind of, hmm. Let's think about these things. Let's plan how we're going to spend the Lord's Day as well. How about acts of mercy and service to others in need? That is a perfectly acceptable way to spend the Lord's Day. A couple weeks ago, we went over to the Market Street Mission on a Sunday and fed the homeless. Perfectly acceptable way to spend the Lord's Day. You're helping them. Are there places, are there people, are there ministries that we could help? It's not just going to church on the Lord's Day that's important, but how are we spending time with the body of Christ and fellowship and hospitality? How are we resting? Are we planning for that? What else can we do to foster spiritual growth? We have a day to do that. What are we reading? What are we viewing? What are we engaging in true Christian fellowship? Right? The Lord's Day is not just worship. It's also rest. So think about that. Think about how we're going to plan for rest and how we're going to plan to do those things on the Lord's Day. So we, we prepare for the Lord's Day, but we also plan for the Lord. Prayer, I'm sorry. We plan for the Lord's Day. We also prepare for the Lord's Day. How do we prepare? First, we prepare physically. Mel gives me this look, like, much like she's giving me right now, this look on a Saturday when I have a to-do list about this big, right? When, when I got to get the grass cut, I got to cut down that tree, I got to split this firewood, I got to whatever, wash the dog, you know, all these 50,000 things that I have to do on a Saturday because I want to be done for the Lord's Day. But that backfires sometimes, especially when it's like 98 degrees in July and the sun doesn't rest, right? And I overdo it, and that's when I get the look because I know I'm overdoing it. And what's that going to make me for the Lord's Day? Tired and cranky. That's not a good way to spend the Lord's Day. And so first, prepare physically. Prepare physically, but don't overdo it on Saturday. Get a good night's rest. Sometimes people will ask us to do things on a Saturday night. Maybe those things are really, really late at night, like 7.30 p.m. (laughs) And... And we, say, we, have to, we have to say no. Because I, I, I don't, I don't want to be out that late before Sunday morning. I want to make sure that I get a good night's rest. Right? But we prepare physically. We also prepare spiritually. This is so important, church. Start to warm up your heart the night before so that you're ready to worship on Sunday morning. Read the text. We'll be in the next day. The bulletins get posted every Friday afternoon. Check it out. Sneak preview. 
Read the text. Here's a big way to prepare for the Lord's Day spiritually. Pray. Spend a few moments in prayer, maybe with your spouse, with your family. Pray for what's happening the next day. Pray for me. I need it, please. Pray for the musical worship. Pray for your heart. Pray for the hearts of everyone who will be ready to receive the word as it's spoken, as we sing it, as we read it, as we hear it preached. Pray for the kids' ministry. Pray for the focus and understanding we would have. Pray for the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts. We normally, even if it's 30 seconds before we put it on, we prepare, we figure out what we're going to wear on a Sunday morning. The Puritans said, we dress our bodies, we also should dress our souls. And we dress our souls in prayer. We think about what's happening the next day. Prayer warms up our heart to hear from God and not only hear, watch this, to receive it and and remember it and meditate on it and let it take root. We pray for conviction. We pray for remembrance and understanding and it's a huge part of preparing for the Lord's day. Devout Jews in the time of Moses and even today, they prepare for their Sabbath on Saturday on Friday. I can remember years back, when I was still a corporate monkey, I had a guy on my team who was in Israel, in Jerusalem, and he was a devout Jew. And you could not get him on Friday or Saturday. Friday, he was preparing for the Sabbath. Saturday, he was Sabbathing. And he was back at it Sunday morning, a little mixed up there. But he, he did that. They still do that today. They prepare for the Sabbath each and every week. Today in Israel, when you greet people before the Sabbath, in the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath, you say Shabbat Shalom, which means peaceful Sabbath. They know the Sabbath is coming the next day, and so they're exchanging greetings and wishing each other peace. The Sabbath is tomorrow. Shabbat Shalom. I wish you a peaceful Sabbath tomorrow. So prepare physically and spiritually. But last, we need to protect the Sabbath. And that's where it gets a little more tricky. We plan for the Sabbath, we prepare for the Sabbath, but we also have to protect the Sabbath. We protect the priority of the Lord's day with our schedule. Again, with these wonderful devices called calendars. We we protect that priority. Here's the magic trick to protecting the Lord's day. When we have something that comes in our in our in our lives as an option to do on the Lord's day, if that is not necessarily going to be something that's going to lead us to worship or rest or contemplate the things of God or help us in any of those endeavors, there's one magic word with two letters, and it's no. No is a complete sentence. It really is. When someone asks us to do something and and we don't necessarily are, are not going to do that, we do and can and should say no, no matter what, but definitely for the Sabbath, for this day to honor for the Lord. This is the essence, again, of time management, which is so lost in our day and age. We are more schedule reactors, right, than we are schedule planners in many ways. And the only problem with that is that's not a biblical approach. You see, Jesus isn't just Lord of one day. Jesus is Lord of all of our days. All of our days We need to protect the time. We need to make sure that we are spending the time. We don't get the time back. We need to make sure that we are are redeeming and using that time, especially on the Lord's day, but every day to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Watch this. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Are the days evil, church? The days are very evil, right? And we are called to make the best use of our time, especially on a Sunday. One translation says, redeem the time, right? How are you going to, it's, it's going to go, minute, uh, minute by minute, it's going to go. What are you going to do with that time? Make the best use of the time. And so, church, how are we doing at this? Are we proactively making the best use of our calendars for the glory of God and our growth in holiness? Primarily, of course, we're talking about Sundays here. How much more are we called to make the best use of time on Sundays? Now, I'm going to list 97 things that are permissible to do on the Lord's Day, 
and 147 things that are not permissible and sinful on the Lord's Day. So I hope that you brought your pens and have lots of extra space on your notes, right? So we're going to go through each one step by step. I can't do that. That's what the Pharisees did wrong. That's the Mishnah. That's what they added to it. God gave them the law about honoring the Sabbath. They're like, no problem. They took off and ran and write 57 million things about how you're not supposed to do this. You can't carry sticks. You can't pick a head of grain. You can't carry your mat. You can't do this. Whatever it is, I can't do that. How you honor the Sabbath in obedience to this command on a Sunday is going to look different from person to person. We also have these things of works of necessity. Right? If you're a police officer, if you're EMS, if you're a doctor, we call 911. I hope somebody answers the phone on a Sunday. Right? We need that. That's okay. But I will say this. If you're just working each and every Sunday at any old job and blowing off the Sabbath, you need a new job. We've we got to be a little bit smarter about this. We also have, you know, people have school and classes on Sunday, whatever, if they're in a program or something. I get all of that, right? Sometimes there's just no way out of it. If you run a business or something and you're like, I, forgive me, Lord, but this is the only day that this can get done, whether it's a crisis or whether it's something like that, right? I'm not saying that's sin. That's why I'm not going to list all of these ways because I can't do that. We've got to use this thing in our brains and this thing in our chest to have biblical discernment and to have a heart that really wants to honor and love God. And that's going to look different. But overall, is that our goal, to honor this day that the Lord has? Are those things when we we do have to work or whatever, are those exceptions? Because the funny thing about exceptions is they turn into lifestyles real fast, right? We have to make the best use of time, but we don't don't want to get sucked into legalism. On the most basic level, what should we be doing on the Lord's day? Answer, anything that leads you to more worship of God and more rest. That's at the most basic level. Anything that's going to lead you to more worship of God and more rest. Anything that causes you to grow in your love for God and others gives us the blessing of resting from our regular work week. We need to protect the Lord's day. We need to be protecting anything that will lead us to those things on the Lord's day. Do we even know, though, how to rest in 2023? It's not vegging on the couch with your phone, watching reels for hours on end. It's not streaming Netflix or whatever it is for hours on end. Do we know how to rest? And is our rest going to further our right and good thoughts about God? Recently, I was convicted on a Sunday night. Didn't even share this with Mel, but... um, Sunday night, the Lord's Day, we were watching this show, vegging out, and I must have seen like 10 people get murdered. It was a shootout. They were cowboys. You know how it goes. But it hit me. I'm just like, I was convicted of this. I'm watching people get killed. I'm watching image, I know it's all Hollywood, but I'm watching image bearers get killed on TV on the Lord's Day. And that hit me. This is not a good use of time right now. I'm just getting sucked into this violence and watching people get killed, right? If that were a real thing, that would be a tragedy, right? Think about this, and I'm, I'm church, I'm very convicted about this. We spend our Sundays, or we need to spend our Sundays intentionally. Read a good book to stir your hearts about the things of God. Talk about spiritual things with your spouse, your friends, or family. Take a nap with your spouse. Take the dog for a walk in the sunshine. Play with the kiddos, Cook a glorious steak on the grill and eat it to the glory of God, right? <laughs> Protect the spiritually healthy things. Don't just make Sunday another day of the week and a Sunday fun day. That requires protecting our schedule from other things. Sometimes I hear this and it breaks my heart. Sundays are my only day off. They're my only day to rest. Okay. And then that translates into, so therefore I can't go to church. And I'm like, That's the very day that God has given you to rest. He's carved it out of our schedule. Families, this is so important in the way we disciple our kids regarding the priority of the Lord's Day. Kevin DeYoung writes, are we teaching our kids that Sunday is the day we go to church or the day that we try and squeeze in church? How are we discipling our kids in this? 
We have clear principle in Scripture to set aside Sunday as our day of worship and rest. And it's going to look differently from person to person and family to family. But dads, we need to take the lead in this. How does the Lord's Day look in your family? How are you planning, preparing, and protecting the Lord's Day? It might mean, no, we're not going to let our kids play travel soccer because there's a lot of games on Sundays. It might mean, no, I'm not going to work on my business on Sundays. I have six other days to do that, and I'm going to do it. It might mean I'm not going to use Sundays as a day to get caught up on everything else around the house. What does it mean to protect the Lord's Day? Well, we can always protect it with our calendar. And we can say, I'm sorry, I have a previous commitment. Previous commitment to the Lord. I get it. I get it, and I can hear the thoughts in your mind and see them on your faces. New Jersey, we run at an insane pace. It's crazy crazy bananas town, how packed our schedules are. This is a way to be countercultural, isn't it? With our, with how we run one day of the week should scream that we're different. We're likely all too busy for our own spiritual good. Ever wonder why you're running dry and things aren't working? It's just like, mm. It's like, because God's given you a whole day and are you using it for the the purposes that God's given? Are you just running yourself into the ground with busyness? To obey this command means making sacrifices. It means making hard choices. But church, that's the essence of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to make hard choices for the glory of God. And that's when it becomes faith. If I do this, ah, there's faith requires trust in who God is. I want to challenge us to be intentional in all things. And these are the little things, too. I was even thinking yesterday as I, I was running around all day, came home, sat on the couch, and, of course, turned on the TV and started watching YouTube. But it was a Christian program. It was, it was helping me grow in the Lord, right? But then I realized quickly this morning when I opened my sock drawer that I didn't have any socks or I was running very low on socks, and now it's Sunday. And I thought, mm, instead of watching that show, that would have been a really good idea yesterday to do laundry when I could have done it on a Saturday. It slipped my mind, right? That's what I'm talking about here. That intentionality, I'm going to do laundry today, so I have socks. Don't worry. <laughs> but there's got to be that intentionality there on a Saturday that I've got to improve upon, right? Is doing laundry on Sunday a sin? No. No. Is it better to do it before Sunday and think about how you're going to honor the Lord? Because here's the thing. We're going to nitpick about that. Okay, well, if I do laundry on Sunday, is that a sin? No, but it's one more thing. Our lives are weighed down to death by what? Millions of little one more things. And if we start clearing the decks one thing at a time, you'll be amazed at how your schedule lightens up. If we're intentional about this. Here's the real question. Do we trust God enough to honor him in this way? Watch this. Do I love God enough to honor him in this way? Being a Christian is countercultural. And I hope you're seeing that following this command will make you pretty countercultural. And that's what it's supposed to. So where does that leave us? We're commanded to set aside one day of the week for worship and rest. In light of what Jesus has done, the Lord's Day on Sunday, we plan for it, we prepare for it, we protect it, and it comes down to why? Because we love God. All the first four commandments are telling us how to love God, right? Commandment one says, this is what loving God looks like. It means like worshiping him primarily and exclusively. Commandment two says loving God means worshiping him biblically. Commandment three means loving God or means honoring his name appropriately in all things. And commandment four, I'll say it this way, loving God means simply honoring his day. Loving God means honoring his day. What a true blessing the Sabbath is. I mean, it, is, it is, should be a day of joy. It should be a day of rest. It should not be a breathless kind of exhausting day like everything else. It's a gift, church. Let's plan for it, let's prepare for it, and let's protect it. If you're astute, which I know all of you are, you've realized that I said that there were four aspects of biblical history that proves that their Sabbath principle still is in effect, and I talked about three of them. There's one more part of biblical history, how we know that the Sabbath principle is still in. And church, it's, 
maybe the most glorious of all, because one day, one day, we will rest from all of this stuff. One day we will have an eternal Sabbath rest, a perfect calendar, a perfect worship, a perfect rest, and that will last for all of eternity. So yes, we see the Sabbath principle at creation. We see it in the old covenant with the law. We see it in the new covenant with Jesus, and one day we're going to see it in eternity in heaven. The author of Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews 4 verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What a promise. What what an, any earthly Sabbath that we could possibly have points to the glory of what that will be. An eternal rest from, from where we are now. There remains a Sabbath for the people of God. So what do we do now, church? It just told us, strive to enter that rest. Get after holiness. Get after loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as he tells us to in the law. Loving God means honoring his day. So church, it's time to strive. It's time to get after it. It's time to chase holiness. It's time to build the kingdom and productivity time to buy houses and get married and have babies and grandbabies. It's time to work hard at your job to the glory of God. And remember, every single week that we grind it out for those six days, we remember the Sabbath is coming. And then we remember year after year after year that guess what? There's an eternal Sabbath coming where we will spend it with Jesus Christ forever. And we come on Sundays and we worship and we rest and we get back up again Monday morning and we get after it again full of the Holy Spirit and rest. Sometimes, church, I think we don't know how to rest because we don't know how to work. It tells us to strive to enter this rest. We are commanded to remember the Sabbath because we can so easily forget it. God can get lost in the crazy busyness of this life. Rest and worship go right out the window and everything else that are swept along with the cultural currents. And all of this, church, is only possible through Jesus Christ. We can't enter that rest unless we have rest for our souls in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, Jesus completely transforms this commandment. Jesus is the way to obey this commandment. Let's strive to enter his Sabbath rest by loving his day enough to honor him in that way while we're still here. And Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, a long passage, a challenging passage, one that is somewhat maybe misunderstood by us. I'm sure there are many people in this room that have differing ideas of of how they were raised or what it looks like or doesn't look like. Lord, would you please be working even now? I mean, may these conversations continue as we pray through these things and think about what you've called us to to honor your day. Father, help us to strive to enter that rest And may we trust you enough, love you enough to honor your day. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.